And if something's missing or somebody needs to come back to me or needs help, it means that something's missing from that document. I got to figure out what it is, create it and add it to that document so that they can then train on it and do it. So that's something that I've really had to improve it in the last couple of years is, okay, you're, you're asking me a question. This should be written down and it should be documented because you need to be able to do this without me. So that's the, the biggest thing I've, I've focused on. The other thing is also knowing that I've had to get better at hiring and understanding like the right people to bring on my team. So we've really focused on, um, we have a, a, a 250 question questionnaire that people were, were, were looking at hiring fill out so we can kind of know what kind of a person they are. Um, we're really looking at, um, as well, I, I look at people's social media a lot because you find out who they are a lot on social media and you, you, you figure out if there's somebody you want in your organization and you want to take a look at like, how do they interview? You know, like, how do they talk about their previous employer? Do they blame that previous employer a lot? Well, that's going to really tell you something about that, about that person, right? That they may not take responsibility. This is episode 137. Jeremy Ryan Slate is the CEO and co-founder of Comment Your Brand a podcast public relations agency that harnesses the power of podcasting to help make industry leaders become legends. Jeremy has also hosted a podcast that has ranked in the Apple Podcast Top 100 called Create Your Own Life since 2015, which sold 10,000 downloads in its first month. Jeremy shares some of his lessons building a high-performing business, including the art of hiring and delegating. Entrepreneurs have to wear many hats, but you can't be running on all the fronts at the same time, even though you may think you can. So if you want to avoid becoming the bottleneck in your business, tune in now as Jeremy offers invaluable insights into making judicious hiring choices and nurturing a team to create a business that goes beyond your individual success. And perhaps while you're listening to this podcast, log on my website and take the bottleneck index quiz. It's a quick and accurate tool to evaluate your potential bottlenecks and their impact on your business. And it provides you with practical solutions to overcome them. You'll find the link in the show notes. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to my humble show. <laughs> hey, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here and uh, spend some time today, man. Cool. So first question to you. I went on your LinkedIn profile and you wrote there that uh -oh. adversity has not been my enemy. It has formed me. Can you explain? Well, I think when you look at it, it's the difficult things in your life that make who you are. I think if, mm. if life was just easy... Um, you wouldn't have to be stronger. You wouldn't have to think faster. You wouldn't have to have skills and things being difficult are, you know, they, they've made me who I am. That's I, I almost lost a parent at, um, at 24. And now my, my mom's pretty disabled from that. She had a stroke right. and you know, that made me look at my life in a lot of different ways. And I had to learn skills and I had to look at the career I was doing and realize I didn't want to do this career and do something else. And it's, you know, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing today. Um, I also look at, um, at 19, I, I, had a, what was supposed to be a minor knee surgery and I got last rights. And you know, that made me look at life a lot differently. So I think at the same time, if you look at it back in the days of like when, when a blacksmith would make a sword, right? They mm. would take a piece of wrought iron and that wrought iron would be ugly and not useful and, and whatever it may be. And they would take it and they would heat it up to thousands of degrees and they would pull it out of that, that, that kiln and then would hammer it. 
you know, that hammering is adversity, that heat is adversity, and that it would come out and it'd be the sword or a spear or something very, very useful and, and aesthetic. But it had to go through those things to become that. And I think that's just how adversity is for us. If I'm not mistaken, you are a power lifter, aren't you? Uh, so I used to be. I, I, still, right. I, I still lift what other people would conceive to be heavy. Um, but in my, in my, in my mid-20s, I'm, I'm in my late 30s now, but in my mid-20s, I was uh, deadlifting uh, 635, squatting 705, and benching 455. Um, and now in my, in my 30s, I'm only benching like 305 and, and squatting in, in somewhere, I think 345 for four I did the other day. And so I'm not doing numbers like I was then, um, but I'm, I'm still having a lot of fun, man. Nice. So for, for the, uh, my European audience, uh, you have to divide by 2.2 to yes. get uh, the numbers in kilos. <laughs> exactly. Could you imagine if those were in kilos? That would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, the, uh, what's the deadlift uh, what record? Like 500 something kilos, I think? I, I really don't know. I do remember. So there's the movie um, Pumping Iron in like the, the 70s. Mm. And it was when... Uh, you know, Lou Ferrigno and, and Arnold and all these guys are um, are like, you know, lifting, lifting weights and whatnot. And uh, Franco Colombo, he's Italian, so he's from Italy. I just remember um, they were showing him on the streets of Italy and he wanted to park in a parking spot where everybody had parallel park, but there wasn't enough room to back the car in. So he took it, picked it up and just put it in the spot. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. But I was asking the question because I, I, I'm into CrossFit. So yeah. I, I, I lift also not as heavy as, as you. Well, that's uh, that's a different type of skill, though, because I yeah. will say like I, I for myself, I found CrossFit to be very difficult because my body is is built differently because I've trained differently mm. for so long. Yeah. But but I think what I understand, you know, with CrossFit is is I get I get like um, I find comfort in, in suffering with adversity. Is it is it is it the same with you? Do you thrive through through adversity or through suffering? I don't know if I really thrive through suffering, but it's my viewpoint on it. Is if I if I, I look at this and I say, okay, like you know, what can I get out of this? What skill can I get? What um, ability can I gain? Um, you, you know what I mean? And and I think sometimes you have to look at it too, and you'd be like, man, it's gonna be a really good story one day. I think that that's also part of it. You have to look at as well is, you know, like you, you kind of have a hero's journey you're on. You have, you have to find the positive in it. I think that's what a lot of people can't do. They just, they look at this and they're like, you know, why God, why did this happen to me? You know, why would you allow this to happen to me? Whatever it may be. But if you look at it, there's, you know, an ability gained in, in, all, in all that suffering and all that hard work. And, and I think you have to try and find the positive in it because you also have to, have to men mentally get yourself through it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were talking about your story. So tell it, tell us a little bit about your story and how did you come up uh, and create it, uh, come your brand media? So for me, um, I actually was a, was a high school teacher for a little bit. This was way back in the, uh, the early 2010s. Um, so mm. how do you talk about the 2000s, by the way? Because I like the, you know, the 1900s, like the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. Um, <laughs> I was born in 1976, man. There you go. I, I was born in 1987. So there you go, man. I got, I got, I got you by 11 years. But, um, but it's so but in the early 2010s, I was I was a high school teacher and I, I had a master's degree in ancient history. So I wasn't very prepared for that situation because I didn't have a teaching background like that. So I, I burned out very quickly. Um, and in, in about two years, and that's when my mom ended up having a stroke and made me look at a lot mm -hmm. of what I was doing and said, do I want to do this? Like, is this something that I, that I can see myself doing? And when I asked that question, the answer was no. So I tried a bunch of different things 
you know, network marketing, selling products on Amazon, life insurance, which mind you, I was good at selling life insurance, but I hated talking about death with people every day. It just wasn't fun. Mm. So I had to find the thing that really fit me. And I've been a podcast fan since like 2008, 2009. Like I've been a podcast fan for a long time. And I still listen to four or five different podcasts every single day. I'm, I'm a little crazy like that. So I just started a podcast as a hobby. I was working at a friend's marketing firm to pay the bills. And it took off and had 10,000 listens in its first month. And people started asking us for help. So we started an agency where we actually did a done-for-you podcast model. And we found that we were doing way too much, first of all, and not, not charging enough. So mm. we looked at what is the 20% of what we're doing that our clients really like. And we ended up with another partner starting a company called Get Featured Media. It did very well. And from there, um, we kind of had in the first nine months, this like extreme disagreement with our business partner. And we ended up having to end off that business. And that became Command Your Brand. And we've okay. been running Command Your Brand since 2017, but we've been in this space since about uh, 2016. Okay. So 10,000 downloads in the first month, not bad at all. It's harder to achieve now though. And I, I will is. say because there's 3 million podcasts now and there's about 240,000 yeah. when I started. So that's a big difference. Do you think it's, it's one of the reasons why you were so successful like quickly? Um, well, it's also the, the world has changed a lot as well because yeah. during that point in time, um, for the first eight weeks of, uh, of a new podcast, there was something called iTunes New and Noteworthy. And if you could get in enough subscribers if you get enough reviews and things like that you'd kind of hit the algorithm you'd hit new and noteworthy which means for eight weeks you'd be featured in front of people that were looking for podcasts so for me that's right. knowing that that was the action plan i was working towards then for about two years we're looking like 2017 to 2019 new and noteworthy was frozen which was great if you were one of the people that got frozen in it which means you got a free feature for two years I had mm. friends that had stopped their podcast and were still frozen. I'm like, dude, you are losing an opportunity. You need to get back in there. But it got impossible to get into it. And now I think just since there's so many shows and they've also changed how that algorithm works, like it's harder to get seen like that. I think, frankly, it's much harder to get seen with an audio podcast. And that's why we've really doubled down on what we're doing on YouTube. And um, we like I think this past week we added um, like 2,700 subscribers on YouTube um, from our video content. I think if you're really going to have a great podcast now in 2023 it's about really pushing video and working on that and and it's kind of the easier way to grow it's very hard to grow an audio only show right right it, so t tell me you're you're a podcast um expert i talk to entrepreneurs hopefully <laughs> they listen they listen to me um what is the benefits for entrepreneurs to be on podcast whether they are they are audio or video well, there's a, there's a couple of different things. I think everybody's like, oh, I want business and I want leads. And it's like, well, sure, maybe. But I think the real thing is, number one, networking. Um, I meet a lot of really cool people like yourself by going on mm. podcasts. And most of the people I'm friends with is because I talk to them on a podcast. So that's the, the, the really big aspect I would say is networking. Another one is branding and positioning, meaning that you're enhancing your brand credibility. You're getting the right positioning. You're being seen as the right person. You're covering the right talking points. And the, the third thing I would say is for a lot of people, they don't start doing PR or public relations until, which I would see podcasting as a public relations action. They don't start doing it until something really bad happens. And that is the single worst thing that you can do is to wait until something bad happens. Because number one, it's harder to get that attention. And number two, 
if you're building something big, something bad's going to happen eventually, right? So you have to be continually building PR, continually getting attention. And if you're always going on podcasts, it, to me, it's easy to have conversations. It's easy to really connect with people. That's a great way to be continually doing this. Right. So we're talking about communication here, but there are so many, so many, you know, means to communicate. Yeah. All, all the, all the platforms. Why, why podcasts in, in, in particular? Why, why are they becoming so popular right now? I, frankly, I think there's too many platforms. Um, okay. <laughs> I, personally, I, I've, I choose the one or two that I really like, and I spend the most time on those. Like I'm a lot, I'm on uh, LinkedIn a lot, and I'm on Twitter a lot. I kind of use Facebook for personal friends. That's about it. Mm. But like mm. the two I spend the most time on personally are, are are LinkedIn and Twitter, and then you know YouTube are posting to a lot. But for me, the the reason I think podcasts are the best place to be is you're able to have long form conversations, right? You're able to actually flesh things out people, with people. You're actually able to really discuss issues. Whereas traditional media, if you're getting 10 minutes, that's amazing. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and in a podcast, you can get 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the podcast, Hardcore History. Um, Dan Carlin's episodes are like four to six hours. Um, wow. so, so you kind of really build a relationship with the person you're listening to. You also really build trust with the person you're listening to. There's, in my opinion, there's nothing else out there like podcasting is at this time. Right. And then you can also, I guess, uh, repurpose your content. Yes. Take, take, take some part of it and, you know, give yourself a voice, actually. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really big at making sure because you have to look at it, too. Like the type of content you're creating has to match the platform. So for for Instagram, we're really focusing on reels, um, like anywhere from 30 to 60 second video content that we can get in a reel is a really big deal. Um, for LinkedIn, it's really interesting, man, because their algorithm changes so often. But for LinkedIn, mm. we're actually focusing on long form written text that's written on a mobile friendly format, meaning you skip lines in between so that people can read it on their phone. And um, on YouTube, actually, we're really focusing on uh, what's called YouTube shorts. They're very similar mm -hmm. to reels and very similar to um, like things on TikTok. Um, and we've been getting a lot of traction um, on YouTube shorts, driving new people to our channel, too. OK, cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about you, the, the entrepreneur. Sure. Um, so you started the business like 2016. Yes. Today, today you got like a team of 17. So eh, not bad, I would say. <laughs> it's, it's not Thank easy you. To, get, to, get, to get there. Um, what are some of the lessons you have learned along, along the way? Oh, man, there's so many. And I think one of the biggest ones that I learned early on, and it's actually the most difficult in hiring other people, is learning how to take yourself out of the way because ah. that can be the single, you know, you're the bottleneck coach. Like exactly. you get that, right? Like, you know what exactly. I mean? Like yeah. so many times we insert ourselves places we don't need to be. And because of that, it keeps your, it keeps your company small and it keeps what you're doing small. So for me, that it was actually really difficult to, to do it first because I'm a capable person. I'm able to do a lot of different things. And in my company, you know, I was our very first salesperson. So I built our mm. sales process. I was our very first uh, podcast booker, so I did I did that job. Um, I was our very first marketer, so I did that. So the problem is, I'm able to fix a lot of things, right? So, yeah. but, but if you kind of bypass your team and go in and fix that, then they can't do what needs to be done. So the thing I really had to learn initially was number one: write better job script, like better job. Um, I'm trying to think of how to describe this, like a standard operating procedure for a, for a position. Like right. we have every single thing documented that you could ever want to know about a job. And if something's missing or somebody needs to come back to me or needs help, it means that something's missing from that document. I got to figure out what it is, create it and add it to that document so that they can then train on it and do it. 
So that's something that I've really had to improve in, in the last couple of years is, okay, you're, you're asking me a question. This should be written down and it should be documented because you need to be able to do this without me. So that's the, the biggest mm-hmm. thing I've, I've focused on. The other thing is also knowing that I've had to get better at hiring and understanding like the right people to bring on my team. So we've really focused on, um, we have a, a, a 250 question questionnaire that people were, were, were looking at hiring fill out so we can kind of know what kind of a person they are. Um, we're really looking at um, as well. I, I look at people's social media a lot because you find out who they are a lot on social media and you, you, you figure out if there's something you want in your organization. And you want to take a look at like, how do they interview? You know, like, how do they talk about their previous employer? Do they blame that previous employer a lot? Well, that's going to really tell you something about that, about that person, right? That they may not take responsibility. Sure, they may have had a bad experience with an employer, but I'll tell you nine times out of 10, it's because they did something in that situation. So we've mm-hmm. really had to get better at hiring staff and, and, and training people. So to me, those are the two things I focus on a lot. Getting myself out of the bottleneck, which I know you can appreciate. Um, and then also finding the right people to actually do those things and making sure the training's there for them. Yeah, uh, you mentioned something something interesting. You said you were looking at uh, people's social media. Yes. What, what are the specific things you're looking for? Um, you want to look at how they talk about different things. Meaning, like, do they criticize other people a lot? Do they look like they're a team player? Do they are they somebody that lifts other people up? Because I want somebody on my team that's the team player. They lift other people up. If people are highly critical of others, it tells you a lot about them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like people that are highly critical means that they don't take responsibility for a lot of things in their personal life. So they blame a lot. And I don't want people that blame. I want people that take responsibility and say, Hey, I can fix this situation or I can solve this situation. or I can help you grow this company. Not like you didn't do that. And you didn't do this and you're not helping me as a boss and whatever it may be. I want somebody that really adds to the team. And if I'm finding in an interview that, that, that you're that type of person, it's only going to get worse once I hire you. Right. So it's, it's, it's not going to get better. So I want to know going in that we're all aligned. So you, you're trying to figure out a little bit their, their soft skills or inter, interpersonal skills. Yeah, because I think yeah. those are, to, to me, like we're very, like I, I actually would rather hire somebody that doesn't know how to do what we do because I find that um, we want to have people that have a PR background so they understand PR. But I find that traditional PR houses and how they operate actually ruin people. So I would rather somebody come to me with no experience and learn on the job and have the right soft skills. If you have the right mm-hmm. soft skills, I can train you all day. Coming back to the to the to the bottleneck, uh, yeah. the one you mentioned is is the, maybe the most common one that I know of is when everything is tied around around you. How did you know, or when did you know it it has become a critical issue? Because I personally felt overwhelmed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Like, and, and you know what I mean? Like, if if you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, it probably means that you didn't help other people enough to be able to do their job. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I've found. So if you're yeah. feeling overwhelmed, it means that you're wearing too many hats. And if you're wearing too many hats, it means, you know, you only got one head, man. You can only fit so many hats on it before that towers, you know, as big as a doorway. So yeah. like, you have to take a look at like, how many hats am I wearing and how many should I actually be wearing? And I'll tell you what, if you're somebody running a company, the single most vital hat that most people do not wear is their CEO hat. Because a CEO is somebody that keeps a company viable, keeps a mm-hmm. company expanding, creates partnerships, connects with the right people. And most people are not doing that. I, I'll tell you, I've had situations in my company where I was not doing that. Yeah. And when you don't do that and you're like, oh, I'm trying to be a salesperson, I'm trying to be a marketer, I'm trying to be that, I'm trying to be this. You're so much better having somebody that is even 90% as capable as you are in a position that gets 100% of their attention, whereas you're giving 
3.5% of your attention to 50 different things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's because it's because I believe that they are trying to build something that includes them all the time instead of trying to of building something that goes beyond them. Mm -hmm. You know, so they have to have, you have to reach a point where you're comfortable in letting go and in, uh, you know, understanding that your company needs to be built without you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think frankly, um, I'm trying to remember the book I read, um, Taking People With You by David Novak, I think it was. Um, it's, it's a really good leadership book. And when, when you look at some of the most successful businesses, they're actually franchises. And if mm -hmm. you can figure out how to set your company up more in the style of a franchise where it's not tied to a personality or not tied to a person or not tied to a capability where it's just like, okay, this is the position. This person's doing really well in this position. Oh my gosh, this person's you know, having a baby. So they just want to stay home and they don't want to work anymore. And they're, they're, they're kind of just retiring from the work world. Well, now you need to replace that person. Yeah. Um, if you have a very well set up company that's set up in a franchise type model, you can replace that person very easily and not kill your company. But a lot of people, they're so built on, oh my God, if this person ever leaves me, I am so screwed. And it, it, you have to look at how can I take people with me? Yeah. And this is why you build those SOPs, right? It's, so you can easily replace people. And they're, 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 they're a little neurotic too. Um, because like, yeah. if you look at it, like, um, for our sales position, our sales position, the actual, like write up in Google docs, like meaning the actual document is 47 pages on how to sell something for my company. Um, yeah. and then within that there's probably 35 minute video trainings because we, we think people have different modalities, right? Like some people are written and some people are audio visual. So you have to have the ability for people to be able to, full, to have a full concept of what they're doing on their job. Many times we give people a manual and we say, read this thing. And, you know, they may have words they don't understand or concepts they don't get, or maybe that's the way they don't, not the way they learn. So you have to have everything ready for them to be able to learn no matter what modality they are. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in going a little bit deeper because, you know, I, I want to know, like you said you were overwhelmed. Yeah. But I want to know, like, what happened? What was what was the trigger? Because many entrepreneurs say the same thing. They are overwhelmed. Like, mm -hmm. I think I think it's very common to be overwhelmed as an entrepreneur, but they don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Why did you do something about it? What, what, what happened? So I will tell you the main issue I would find um, is the main thing I was doing is I was selling and running the company. And I had some I had a, I had a small PR team at that point in time. This is back in like 2019, 2018, somewhere around there. And I was finding every single production problem came back to me. So it meant I couldn't sell anything because now every problem a client had was in my inbox at some point the next day. So the fact that I couldn't make more money was now a big problem, right? Because I, I need to like be able to make more money, but I'm dealing with all these client problems. So for yeah. me, once I realized that, I'm like, oh my God, I can't sell and do this. And at the same time, like I shouldn't even be handling this. I should have somebody for quality control. So mm -hmm. once for me, the fact that I like wasn't sleeping and I wasn't able to sell anything because I wasn't able to like do all this stuff kind of got me to the point of like, I can't do this anymore. I can't operate like this anymore. I need to have somebody that sells. So it's not me. And I need to really handle having a good quality control process because I'll tell you right now, most companies, I don't care what you're running. Most companies don't have quality control. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you get a client pro program that's not doing well, well, you send them over to quality control. They take a look at the, the program. They see if it's operating um, on all the principles it's supposed to operate on. They fix them, they solve them, or whatever it may be. And if you don't have that, it's going to kill you, man. So you had reached a point also where being the bottleneck was affecting your health. Because yes. you couldn't sleep. I wasn't sleeping, man. I was not yeah. sleeping. And I think for most people, 
there's some people that will do that for a really long time, man. I, I don't, I, I don't have, like, as a kid, I was diagnosed with ADHD, um, which mm. I was, I was totally unmedicated and people just kind of gave me harder schoolwork, which is, which is good. I think it's the way to do it. Um, and so for me, like I have a short kind of, I don't want to say attention span, but I have a very, very short and low tolerance for when things aren't going well. Right. Um, so for me, it doesn't have to take very much for me to be like, all right, screw it. We're doing something about this. So for me, it was a couple weeks where I was like, all right, I'm doing something about this. Other people do this for years. I don't know how the hell to do that. Like, I just don't yeah. know how people operate like that. Yeah. I interviewed uh, an entrepreneur once he reached a point. So he did a burnout and his burnout was so bad that he was ready to give his company for free. Wow. Can you imagine? Like, why, why would spent... you give up all those blood, sweat and tears? man? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was because he had reached a point where he was completely exhausted. It took him two years to recover. Wow. Yeah. But I, it's, it's, you know, the sad part about it, man. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to like take the responsibility for looking at it like this. So much of burnout is actually created by us mm -hmm. and our unwillingness to like, like you, you hire a salesperson, but there's no sales process. And you're like, you can't sell. Why aren't you selling? Well, they don't know what they're doing every day. You're telling them to like do something and they, there's nothing there to do. Like you can't expect people to do a process that doesn't exist. And I think that's so often what a lot of entrepreneurs want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And as, and as, as the CEO of your company, you should be spending a lot of time on strategy, mm -hmm. thinking strategy, another, another bottleneck, uh, lack of clarity of direction. Yeah. And also, and also like building those process, those processes, and a process is not only in terms of, you know, uh, automation is also in terms of people who does what, when, with what tools you have to make sure that everything goes smooth. Mm -hmm. You have to facilitate the work for your, for your staff, removing the, removing the obstacles for them. Then frankly, that's the, no the number one thing that I do right now are what you just talked about, which we call establishment in our company, you know, establishing mm -hmm. things. Um, and then also company PR, because I'm the person going on media, writing articles, talking at conferences, doing these different things. And if nobody's doing that, that is really hurting your company, man. If nobody's yeah. establishing and nobody's doing company PR. Yeah. Do you think it should always be the, uh, the funder doing that? I think my viewpoint is kind of clouded by like, we do PR for founders and I've, we've done a lot of programs for people that are founders and people that weren't. And mm. I will tell you, it's very hard to have a successful PR program, at least for us, when we're not working with a founder or somebody that's in a CEO role of a company because they don't have the company story. They don't have um, the brand isn't really built with them. Like even if they're not attached to the business day to day, they have the company story. I think for we, the ones we haven't seen gone well, it's like, all right, we have somebody from the C-suite that's going to talk about this brand today. And it's like, that's great, but it's more promotional than yeah. you know something that's teaching and heartfelt we've found our campaigns that don't go well aren't built on a founder or ceo okay i know it's it can be so difficult for people because they're not it's getting them out of their comfort zone you know speaking yeah. speaking, speaking in public do you do you do you help them in in building their pr skills so we do like in our, in our like onboarding we they do a mock interview with me and we they give right. them a report card and we give them things we're going to work on but I will say if somebody hasn't spoken a lot, the only way to get better do is it. by doing more of it, yeah. man. Like that's what it comes down to. Like um, I spoke um, back in March, um, which we're finally starting to speak again after the pandemic, which is beautiful because I, I typically do a lot of keynote speaking. I spoke back in March in Thailand and it was like 2000 people I spoke in front of, mm. you know, me in 2016 couldn't do that. 
but you know, I spoke at Rotary clubs. I spoke in different places. I did all these, like take every opportunity you can get to get in front of people because you're going to be better in a conversation. And frankly, I don't know about you, but I found, I found these conversations like with you and I just here. Yeah, sure. There's other people that are going to listen to this, but it's really easy for me to have because it's you and I having a conversation. So for a lot of people, that's a great place to start and then just take every single opportunity you can take to speak. Yeah, that's why I love I love podcasts because it's like it feels like conversations, like real conversations. And you can really uh, liberate yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's the only way you get better, man, is, is by doing yeah. more of something. I think a lot of people want to take a pill or a course or whatever it may be and just get better. And it's there, there's no shortcut. Yeah. And that's one thing that actually that entrepreneurship has has taught me is um, the freedom to express myself to be a bit bolder, you know, to stand for something. And that's why yeah. I became the bottleneck kosher. Stand, I want to stand for it. Yeah. So what do you want to take uh, your, your, your company now? What's, what's the big dream? Yeah, right now we're just, we've kind of changed our model a little bit. Um, mm. we, we had a big change last year where we, we changed to more of a recurring revenue model because I think um, one thing that's different with having, you know, like 15 to 17 staff, which is where we're at now versus having five is you have to have, you can't have big revenue months and low revenue months. You have to have consistent revenue. Yeah. So we've had to change a lot of our systems in the last year to becoming more of a recurring revenue company where we have, you know, 50 to, to 70 clients, you know, paying us for services every month so that, you know, the company continue to grow and expand. So like, that's what we've been doing right now. And it's, it's been a nine month process and changing over to that. Like, it's not just so simple as I, like, everybody's on recurring revenue now because you have to, take your current client base. And if they're ready to kind of go on to the next campaign, you know, move them into recurring if they're mm-hmm. willing to do that, because some people don't want to do that. And you also have to bring on new clients through recurring. So that's what we've been doing. And I think that's really what's going to set us up for kind of our next level of growth. Cause we have, you know, hit seven figures as a brand, but if we're going to do kind of multiples from there, that's the real thing that's going to do it is having recurring revenue base versus kind of no new revenue every single month. Nice. And the big dream, if you have one, I don't know, man. Like to me, it's always like, I want to take over the world. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, I don't know. There's, there's a show pinky in the brain from when I was a kid. What are we going to do? It's not Brian. Take over the world pinky. Um, but no, for me, like I, I just want to continue to help people and continue to make a big impact. And, you know, like, like I said, YouTube's been absolutely growing for us. We, we've um, put focus on it last year and we went from 400 subs to 10,000 last year. And then this year we've really doubled down. I'm like, well, how do we optimize the video better? So now we've gone in the last two weeks from like a little over 10,000 to now we're closing it on 13,000. So we're, we're kind of growing that fast. So big goal for this year is I want to hit 250,000 on YouTube, which then makes takes YouTube and makes that another big revenue portion for us. So then we become, right. you know, in addition to being a PR company, we become more of a media company. So for me, that's really what I see it as establishing a big media footprint for what we do and, and you know, just kind of doubling down on that. Nice. Well, I wish you good, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm a big thinker, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, you're like, no, no, no. You're, you're like um, most entrepreneurs I know. <laughs> but you also you also say something important when uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship. You said you want you want to help people because you, you see a lot of lot of a lot of entrepreneurs crave for impact. They, well, and I will tell I, I will tell you like that is one of the biggest things for deciding like. Is somebody going to be, you know, employed by me? Is somebody going to, are we going to work with somebody as a client? Is it going to be a partnership? Is we find out how that person feels about help. And if they mm. don't feel help as possible and they don't feel like something like that, they're not somebody I want on my team, man. Like we want people here that want to help people and they want to help each other. And that, that's, that's really where growth comes from. Yeah. 
Yeah, because then you can align your st- your 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 people behind that. It makes more sense to them. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, if you were to summarize all your knowledge, all your experience as an entrepreneur, podcaster, a media person, into one practical recommendation to other entrepreneurs, what would it be? One recommendation? Jeez, yeah, man. Practical. practical can, I, can I have steps to that recommendation? Because I feel like there's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there, there's, there's kind of like, there, there's, there's parts to it. Like I would say like the best place to, to, to have your message right now is on podcasts. And I would say at the same time, like always, always, always be building a PR strategy. You know, whether that's um, using helpreporter.com to get some some media that way because it's free media out there if you're looking for it, whether it's um, building your brand on local press or doing, you know, whatever it may be, continually getting reviews for your brand, like always, always, always be building your PR footprint. And there's probably 50 steps to that, man. <laughs> yeah, that's too many. <laughs> Sorry, that, 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 that's what I look at it. <laughs> It's absolutely fine. I mean, it's this was a great, great conversation. Really, really casual. I loved it. I just have one more question for you. How can yeah. people contact you? Well, they can find me over at commandyourbrand.com. And uh, I have a new book that just came out in June, um, which covers a lot of what we want we talked about today. So if they want to get that, what is the name at, of your book? It's called Unremarkable to Extraordinary, and they can get that over okay. at getextraordinarybook.com. Nice. Well, the message was spread. Thank you again, Jeremy, for your time today. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, man. And thanks for listening. I'm on a mission to get entrepreneurs unstuck when they become the bottleneck in their businesses. If you found this episode valuable, share it with your network to inspire more entrepreneurs. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.